through 10. So if you will please meet me in Ephesians chapter 1. The text reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Amen. That a church can rise no higher than its pulpit. That as the pulpit goes, so goes the church. Well, I wouldn't cross the road to hear myself preach as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about his Ministry, but our passage today is going to lift us to heaven. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And from there, Paul names four of them. Four spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ in the heavenly places. And he unpacks them in such a way that makes us feel like we're in heaven itself. As though our legs are dangling off of a windowsill in heaven. The point of our passage both this week and next week is this. Blessed be God for his blessings in Christ. Blessed be God for his blessings in Christ. We're going to look at the first two blessings this week and the next two next week. But before we do that, a quick heads up for us all today. You see, our passage is really a double-edged sword. It inspires our worship. And it also tests the vitality of our worship as well. What do I mean by that? Well, a few hundred years ago, there was a guy called Henry. And Henry had an epiphany. This is what Henry said. He said, the worth of a soul is measured by the object of its love. So in other words, if I love what is unclean and worthless, that's because my soul is unclean and worthless. But if I love what is heavenly and glorious... It's because God has made my soul heavenly and glorious. So as we climb the mountain of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14 and don't love the view from the top, that might be my fault, but that might also be because we are in love with the wrong things. 
loving worthless things, not the things that Paul blessed God for here. And so as we approach this mountain with its summit in the heavens, we should be praying, God, thrill me with what thrilled Paul. Thrill me with what thrilled the Ephesian church. Thrill me as my legs dangle from that windowsill in heaven because, Lord, I don't want a worthless soul. Fading are the world's vain pleasures, all their boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. And Lord, I want to know those joys, and I want to handle those treasures today, here, and now, and bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in view of these four ways in which he has blessed me and blessed the whole universal church in Christ. Blessed be God for his blessings in Christ. Number one, for our election in Christ. For our election in Christ. Look at verses three to six. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Blessed be God, Paul writes. For his blessings toward us in Christ. And which spiritual blessing does Paul bless God for first? Our election in Christ. Now church, I know it's the weekend. I know it's hot outside. I know not even Matt is as caffeinated as he needs to be for this. But church, lend me your brains for a minute. Permit me to reach inside of your head and stretch your mind from arm to arm for a brief moment. What Paul is saying here is this. Behind the curtain of time and before the creation of the cosmos, God saw. God saw the mass of fallen humanity running to hell as fast as it possibly could. So in love divine, he stretched out his arm and he snatched that one and snatched this one and scooped up that one over there so that in the end, he had predestined to save Billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of men and women and boys and girls. So many that the book of Revelation says no human being could count the grand total number. And he chose them not only for rescue, but Paul says here for holiness and blamelessness in Christ. He chose them 
out of the orphanage in Adam and for adoption as sons in Jesus Christ, where all of the rights and privileges over the created order that belongs to Jesus are given to them and will be enjoyed by them throughout the eternal ages of heaven in the end. And what could possibly have motivated God to do that? In view of our sin and rebellion, a middle finger that's in the air to his throne. Love. Love divine. All loves excelling. Love as vast as the ocean. Verse 5, in love he predestined us. Now it is true that it's hard to know where the in love of verse 4 actually belongs in the passage. It could either be read as we have it here in the ESV that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Or it could be the way some of your translations have it that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. But regardless, we can know That it was in love that God predestined us. Why? Well, because of what the rest of the Bible says about our election in Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And the word foreknew there means foreknown in love. That as Adam knew Eve, so God foreknew, foreloved all of the elect. And that's a blessing worth blessing God for in Christ, isn't it? Because if you're here today and you're a Christian, you were, you are, and you will forever be loved. Loved with the love that can't be measured by the mile or by the light year. With the love that was before you, is in front of you, is all around you, is over you, underneath you, inside of you, such that God chose you for holiness and blamelessness and adopted you in Jesus Christ, a love that has covered the multitude of your sins and has diffused even the stench of your rebellion. And when we get that, and when we believe that, In reality, then God's purpose of election is fulfilled in our lives. We become a people. We become individuals to the praise of God's glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. A people on fire with worship but not consumed like the burning bush that Moses saw. You know, when Gloria and I and a a very young Ada moved to the United States Uh, It was the year 2016, and in 2016, if you mentioned the word election, you quickly felt like you just removed the pin from a grenade, because the two presidential candidates back in 2016 was Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, two of possibly the most polarizing personalities the world has to offer, and very, very sadly... If you utter the word election among believers today, you get that same like live grenade feeling in the conversation. But do you see how profoundly out of step that is 
with the Apostle Paul. Because evidently, election made Paul's mind and heart dance together. He loved it. And we should too. Now, if you have questions about this brain-stretching, massive biblical doctrine, then I'd love to talk with you after the service. I'd love to speak with you over coffee. And that's not to argue with you. That's not to get you wearing John Calvin pajamas. Uh, You can just borrow mine if you want. But in an effort to get your heart and mind dancing with the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul, it is wonderful. It is glorious. It is amazing. How marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Election lifts us to heaven. And we become a people to the praise of his glorious grace. And you know, even pastorally, election is a source of great assurance to the doubting believer. I want to introduce you all this morning to a a friend of mine called Joe. And Joe has always felt like he's simply limping to heaven at best. He's never quite gotten the quiet time down. And when he hears other people praying, perhaps in the prayer meeting, he can't quite work out where their fire and their enthusiasm comes from. And he chickens out of every evangelistic opportunity that comes his way. He finds sermons really hard to follow and hard to understand. And he struggled with the exact same sin for the past 45 years. And in the most reflective of his moments, he he wonders to himself, does God really love me? Does God love me at all? Well, election says to Joe, Joe, before the first crash of the first wave, and before the first sunrise and sunset, and before the first breath was taken, and before you did anything good or bad, God saw your unformed substance, and he loved you. He loved you so much that he would have it no other way so as to save you. And he elected you and chose you. And he predestined you in love before the world began. And so, Joe, yes, he does love you. And what's more, Joe, he has made you a billionaire in the riches of his grace towards you in Jesus. So, Joe, now do you start to feel like you could be someone to the praise of his glorious grace? Now are you assured of God's love for you? Now do you find yourself wanting to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's more, election humbles the proud believer as well. You see that it not only assures the doubting believer, it crushes the pride of the proud believer as well. I introduced you to Joe just now, but I want to introduce you to someone else uh, called Tom. Tom's read the Bible every year, the whole way through since he was converted in his teens. He's got one of those calfskin leather Bibles, and he's memorized all 150 Psalms and most of the book of Romans. 
And not only is Tom among one of the most consistent at the prayer meeting on Tuesday, he's also able to identify all of the accidental heresy that church members pray. Like when they thank God for, uh, thank God the Father for coming down and dying on the cross. His John Calvin pajamas are made of pure silk. But then Tom comes to church. And as Tom sings on the top of his voice, every now and then, He wonders to himself why his soul isn't moved at all by what he's singing. What's his problem? It's pride. What's the solution? Election. Because election says, Tom, do you remember John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13? You were born again, not of blood, that is not a family heritage, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what that means, Tom, is the only reason you're saved is because God chose to save you. That is it. And when Tom believes that afresh, he finds himself saying, well, then blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see that for the doubting believer, for the proud believer, for the universal church, a robust understanding of the sovereignty of God in salvation is always what is needed. Blessed be God for his blessings in Christ. Number one, our election in Christ, but number two, for our redemption in Christ as well. Look at verses seven to 10. Paul writes in him, In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things in on earth. Blessed be God for his blessings in Christ, Paul writes, even our redemption in Christ. Because you see, redemption is how God's elect were bought in space and in time. The word redemption refers to a a freedom that was bought at a price. And you and I need that redemption because we are slaves of sin. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. So picture yourself now handcuffed to a a filing cabinet. It contains a, a record of every sin that you have ever committed. And the cabinet is full. The cabinet is tall. Its drawers are deep. There's a drawer for your sins of omission where you omitted to do what God had commanded you to do when you, when you didn't tell the whole truth, when you didn't love your wife the way Christ loved the church, when you didn't take that evangelistic opportunity, and when you didn't love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And then there's a drawer for your sins of commission, where you did exactly what God had commanded you not to do. When you lied to your employer, when you slandered your colleague, 
when you lusted after another man's wife, when you idolized money, and when you stole as a child. And there's a draw for your sins committed in your thoughts and in your words and in your motives. Not one sin is missing from the record of your wrong. And as you go about your life and as you inch nearer and nearer to death, it's like you're being carried along on a conveyor belt that will one day drop you in the dock before the judge of all the earth. And he will read every sin on every sheet of paper in every drawer and he will then render a verdict. But as terrifying as that is, if you are a believer, you have nothing to fear. Why? Because your signature has been removed from the last sheet of paper. And at the bottom of the last sheet of paper is another signature. It's the signature of the Lord Jesus Christ written in blood. Because Jesus took personal responsibility for every sin you have ever and will ever commit in the course of your life. So that now when the judge renders a verdict, he says over you both now and then, not guilty, righteous, justified. Pure, blameless. And he does that not reluctantly, but graciously. As Paul says here, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. But if that weren't enough, Paul says that our redemption in Jesus is only a sneak preview, a thumbnail preview of what the whole creation will one day experience when all things have been reconciled to God. Not only individual souls, not only races that were at enmity toward one another, but the entire creation. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I said, didn't I, at the beginning of our time together that this past week I was at a pastor's conference in in Balor in North Wales and it amazed me, truly amazed me to think that the last time I was there, uh, I was converted at the age of 12. It's actually a bit of an embarrassing story. Uh, At the age of 12, I just wanted to be cool. And all of the teenagers that I looked up to at the time, they used to wear those like dog chains on their jeans and like a, a black hoodie on the top. And so at the age of 12, there I was arriving at camp with my baggy jeans on and some chains on my trousers and a black hoodie over my shoulders. And I got out of the car and my mom, seeing another mom looking at me, said, My chains fell off. My heart was free. And then on Wednesday night, I heard all about the cross for what felt like the very first time in my life. And I heard that sin had been justly and suitably punished there. So that if anyone believes, they might be free from the punishment that they deserve in the presence of a holy God. 
and I was saved. And I was made a new creation in Christ. I hadn't heard of, of Martin Luther back then, but I knew exactly how he felt when he said this. I felt that I had been born anew and that the gates of heaven had been opened. And then the next morning, what should we sing? But long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. But the wonder of wonders is the flowers of the field. And the birds in the heavens and the mountains way up in the sky, everything in this sin-saturated world will one day cry out, my chains fell off. And the trees of the field will clap their liberated hands in the freedom of the knowledge of the children of God in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth. Believer, that is your destiny. And you're going to make it. You are going to get there. Because the God who elected you is going to keep you for the day of redemption. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And I know your feet are made of clay. And I know that the best of men are men at best. And I know you've stumbled and you do stumble and you will stumble. But Jesus Christ will lose none of those whom the Father gave him in eternity past. He's going to carry them all to heaven. The way a shepherd would carry just one sheep in his arms. To glory divine. So what should we do right now? We should bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should do. And what's more, if you've been set free, here's something else you should do. You should live free. If you've been liberated, then you should live like you're liberated. Why would you return to the very same sins that enslaved you before you were saved? Why would you return to your vomit and roll around in it, bathing yourself in it? Why would you do that? License will enslave you, legalism will enslave you, false doctrine will enslave you, false gospels will enslave you, but if the truth has set you free, then stand firm in it, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But to those of you here today is, as unbelievers or perhaps as people who don't quite know where you stand yet. Maybe for the first time in your life, you felt a holy concern today. Because as I've sought to encourage believers, you've began to ask yourself the question, what if I'm not elect? What if I'm not predestined? And what if the day comes when I see my mom and dad walking through those gates of pearly splendor and I'm left on the outside and hear those words, depart from me. I never knew you. 
how can I know that I'm predestined? Friend, the answer to that question is so wonderfully simple. You simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you can know that you're elect. You want to know that you're predestined? Turn from sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may as well stamp the word elect on your forehead with red letters. And so in case you haven't put two and two together yet, friend, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you will join all of the elect in heaven and on earth in saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me and who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for our election in Christ and for our redemption in Christ as well. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to stand and sing a great hymn about election. Let's worship together.